Well, good morning. Good to see everybody. And uh, just want to welcome everybody gathered across all of our locations and online. It's so good to be with you. And I've really been enjoying this summer message series that we've been in. Have you guys been just enjoying every week of this uh, series? It's been so good. And uh, really excited to be back with you uh, two weeks from today. I'm going to be kicking off our fall message series. We're going to be going through the book of Daniel together this fall in a series called Among Lions. And so you're not going to want to miss that. Uh, but today I'm really uh, excited and honored to introduce to you our guest speaker uh, because he is a hometown boy. Uh, Matt Hessel is here to speak. His uh, whole fan club is right here apparently. Uh, but Matt grew up in this church. Uh, he served on our team for about eight years and uh, was when he left uh, us, we sent him out in 2019. He was the Northwest Campus Pastor. And uh, he went out in 2019 to become the lead pastor at LifeBridge Christian Church in Longmont, Colorado. He's been an, doing an amazing job there. He and his wife Kelly have three beautiful kids. And, uh, you know, I could say a lot about this guy and how much he means to me. You know, I, I don't have a biological brother. Uh, but Matt is about the closest thing I've got to that. Uh, he and I text and talk almost every week and uh, just uh, appreciate any time I can get together with him, just the mutual encouragement that takes place uh, whenever we sit down and talk. And so you are going to be uh, really, if you've never heard Matt before, you're going to be in for a special treat. He is a uh, big brute of a man. And so I've asked him to come and speak on gentleness today. So would you please put your hands together, give a warm homecoming. Welcome to Matt Hessel. Well, hey guys, how are you? Man, it is so good to see you. It's so good to, to be here with you guys. Um, like Aaron said, we live out west, but Kelly and I, our roots are very much right here. They're deep here. I have so much love and affection for this church. Man, we, we grew up here. Kelly, man, she was literally born. Parents took her home from the hospital. Two weeks later, she was in the nursery here. No joke. My family started coming here when I was about five or six years old. We met sometime. We don't even know when we met. It would have been around kindergarten in the kids' ministry. So that's what happens. You bring your kids here to church. They meet their future spouse. Not weird at all. It's not weird. So we met here. Man, we don't even know when we met. We both got baptized here when we were 10 years old, got married in the old building just down the road. I got called into ministry here, served for a number of years until God called us out to Colorado almost, almost four years ago now. So next to my family, nothing, nothing has been more influential in my life and my relationship with Jesus than Traders Point Christian Church. Like I owe this church so much, so much. Man. So this is your first time, if you're just checking things out, man, you're in the right spot. This is the right spot. There are great churches all across Indy, but none like this place. None like this place. If I lived in this city, this is where I would be. And I wouldn't just be here. I'd be in the game with this church. So get here, get connected, get in the game here. Uh, I also want to tell you about your lead pastor. Um, I thought about, I have so many great stories about Aaron, so many great stories that are hilarious. And I'm sure you would like to hear some of those, wouldn't you? But I'm not going to throw my boy under the bus like that. And it's more so because I realize he's got far more stories on me. So I'm just going to leave that alone. Um, but like you said, we talk constantly. Uh, I hope that I've been half the encouragement over the last couple of years to him that he has been to me. 
There's nothing is hidden between the two of us. We talk about everything. We talk about what we're struggling with, what we're excited about. There's lots of sarcasm that goes back and forth and making fun of each other because that's how we show love. But I want to tell you this. I want you to know this about your lead pastor. He loves you guys. He loves you guys. He talks about you. He prays for you. He cares about you. I have spent... I've spent a lot of time with Aaron in a lot of different settings. He's been a close friend for 15 years, and yeah, he's my older brother. And I have seen him serve. I've seen him be generous. I've seen him encourage. I've seen him humble, my, humble himself when nobody was watching. Nobody was watching. I was watching, though. And he would never tell you about that because of his character. He's the real deal. I, I hope you know what you have in him. And he also sets the tone for this church because this church is a multiplying church. Like everybody likes to say that and you're supposed to say that. Yeah, we're a multiplying church. No, this one really is. I mean, that's why the different campuses exist. I mean, there's northwest, north, west, downtown, midtown, northeast later this fall. That's to reach more people. Let's multiply so we can reach more people. But this place also multiplies leaders. And that's a lot harder thing to do and it takes a lot of intention. I mean, when I was really wrestling with the call into ministry, do I, is this what God wants me to do? I was in the corporate, the corporate world at the time. Aaron's the first one that called it out in me. About 15 years ago, he calls it out in me. And then what he did was, when I, when I came on staff here, he gave me opportunities that I wasn't ready for, that I wasn't even remotely qualified for. The very first time I ever preached was in this room 10 years ago, which is just nuts to think about that. And, and I wasn't ready for it or, or qualified at all. But do you know what happened when I did that, when I preached for the very first time? It was terrible. It was awful. It was so bad. Like some of you might have been there for that. And if you're still here right now, God bless you. I, there's a special place in heaven for you. Like it was so bad. I wasn't qualified. I wasn't ready. I was bad at it. You know what Aaron did? Gave me more opportunities. That's development. That's multiplication. Anybody can take someone who is polished and experienced and in a rhythm and has all their gifts polished and, and you know, let them loose. That's not multiplication. That's not development. That's you capitalizing on someone. That's fine. But we need leaders to be developed. The church desperately needs strong disciples who are leaders. And this church invests in people and sends them out. That's, I'm the greatest beneficiary of that. So I want you to know this. I've told Aaron this. This is true of you too if this is your church. Right now, you are impacting lives in northern Colorado, and they're people that you will never meet. We're seeing life transformation happen in just some insane ways, insane ways. It's awesome. Like last year, the church is an old church where I'm at, 131 years old. As far as we know, last year, we had the most baptisms in the history of the church. This year, as of July, we're only six away from that last year. I mean, the, the constant story... This is the constant story that we hear right now. Hey, it's my first time at LifeBridge, and it's my first time ever in church. Like, I've never been to church before in my life. Why am I here, and why do I want to keep coming back? That's what's happening. You have a hand in that. A multiplying church affects places way outside of its reach. That's happening right now. So be encouraged. I'm rooting for you from Colorado. And I've been following this series, What the World Needs Now. And really, what the world needs right now is for you to live out Galatians 5.13. Galatians is this letter, it's written by this guy named Paul, and he's, he's writing to a church that was just, I mean, honestly, it was pretty messed up. They were doing some jacked up things that had caused them to turn away from the truth of the gospel. And now they were following a, not the real Jesus, but a made-up version of Jesus and a made-up version of Christianity that this group of people was force-feeding them who had a very serious agenda. 
And not only was that, was that bad for them as individuals, that was bad for the city that they lived in. Because a byproduct of a healthy church that unapologetically follows Jesus and God's word, a byproduct of that kind of church is it's going to be a blessing to the city that it's in. Even when it gets opposition. A healthy church will be a blessing to the people that oppose it, who oppose Jesus. Right now, Indy is being blessed by you, whether this city realizes it or not. The city and the people that are around a church should always be better off because that church is there. But that wasn't happening with the Galatians. It wasn't happening at all. So Paul basically writes them and he says, guys, really, what the world needs from you right now, verse 13, the world needs you. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. No, don't, don't do that. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law, the entire law is summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are free to love your neighbor as yourself. And this is very much in play for you today. Like what the world needs from you right now is for you to use your freedom. But do we know what that really means? Do we really know what freedom means? And maybe that sounds like a dumb question. Hey, bro, like um, this is America. Freedom's kind of a thing here. We, we got it. I understand that. I get it. But if you and I think the purpose of freedom is for us to do whatever we want, that's a problem. Like if you think your freedom is for you to do whatever you want, then you're going to end up hurting yourself and you're going to hurt other people. Let me say it this way. Freedom that is used in a self-serving way is freedom that eventually leads to self-destruction. We see that in real time right now, don't we? There's just more and more destruction taking place. And that's because there's this growing belief, actually I'd say it's more of a growing misunderstanding, that freedom is about me, it's for me, and the purpose of freedom is for me to find fulfillment and affirmation in whatever feels right and whatever I think is right at the time, regardless of any moral transcendent behavior codes or, or accepted standards. Freedom is selfish. That's all it is. That's what we believe it is. It's about me. Now, the problem with that is, what happens when you have 350 million people that believe that also, that think freedom's about me, it's for me? Well, inevitably, you're going to get some conflict, right? Because everybody's got a different definition of what personal fulfillment looks like. And freedom is meant to fulfill my purposes and what I want. So people cry out, well, this is my freedom. I get to do this. I get to do this. I want to satisfy this desire. I have this feeling. It just creates more conflict. All because we have a misunderstanding of what freedom really is. It's not meant for me to use on me. My freedom is meant for me to use on everybody else. That's what Paul's getting at. He says, don't use your freedom to satisfy yourself, even though that's exactly the narrative we hear in the world, right? The world says, you do you. Do whatever you want. Whatever feels good, whatever feels right, express yourself that way. Do it. Paul says, no, it's the opposite. Your freedom is not about you. Your freedom is about everybody else. Use it to serve other people in love. I mean, that's a very different take on freedom that we hear lobbied for today. I mean, I don't know that I've heard someone say, man, I, I'm really upset because my freedom, I don't have the freedom to serve everybody else. I haven't heard that. I don't know if you have. I haven't heard that. I mean, that would be great. That would be a great change of pace. But today, whenever you hear somebody upset about freedom or a group of people upset about freedom, it's usually because I don't have the freedom to do what I want. But what if it was different? Instead of this, the greatest value right now in culture, the greatest value in our culture is expressive individualism. Where 
I express myself however I want, however I feel. I do what I want in the moment, what feels right to me, and truth is whatever is true to me. That's the highest value today. It's celebrated. But it's starting to swallow people alive. What if we were all about our freedom so that we could serve everybody else? I mean, how different would things look today if we just served everybody else? We used our freedom not for ourselves. That's what love your neighbor looks like. And if you want to use your freedom in a way that actually matters, then that cannot be a reality unless the next part of what Paul says is true. This is verse 16. He says, let the Holy Spirit be the guide of your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. My sinful creature, nature, I won't speak for you, I want to do what I want to do. My sinful nature says, hey, take your freedom to do what you want. You get you. But Paul says, no, 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 it's about everybody else. Skip down to verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. That whole list sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? I mean, you want that to be true of you, right? I mean, I want those nine things to be apparent in my life. I mean, we would all agree on this, right? It doesn't matter who you are or what you believe. You can be a Christian or not a Christian. It doesn't matter. We would all agree that the world would be better off right now if those nine things existed, right? I mean, if there was more love in the world, like genuine, authentic, real love, be a better place, right? What about more joy? Anybody going to say no to more joy? No, I don't think so, right? If you do, find me afterwards. I'll give you a hug, right? What if there was more patience and kindness? What if there was more peace? I mean, we would all agree that these nine are awesome and they're needed. And for the most part, they're pretty straightforward. Except for one. One of these is easily misunderstood. It's gentleness. Because somehow we've come to believe that gentleness actually it means weakness. Or we think it means you're passive. Or non-confrontational. Or maybe neutral and scared. But that couldn't be further from the truth. That's not what it means at all. Men, being gentle doesn't mean be passive, weak, and soft. That's not what it means. Women, being gentle does not mean be quiet and be a doormat. That's not what it means. But somehow we've chalked up this, this belief that gentleness actually means a person is nice, that's great, but they're probably weak, and that makes them inconsequential in a world that's tough. Again, I couldn't be further from what the New Testament means about, genes- about gentleness. There's a theme that goes throughout, throughout the New Testament about what it really is, and, and Jesus is the model of it, as always. Let me give you an example. Look at how he responded when he was on trial. Here's the story. Jesus gets betrayed by a friend, a guy that was with him for, tw- for three years, with him all the time, supposed to be a good friend, betrays him. Has that ever happened to you? You ever been betrayed by a friend? That doesn't feel good, does it? No, it makes, it makes you feel exposed. It's hurtful. It's angering. Well, he gets betrayed by a friend, and then he has to go through a trial. A trial that was illegal according to Jewish law at the time. He goes through this illegal trial, and during it, they bring false witness after false witness in front of him so that they can lie about Jesus. And I guess it's okay because if it's an illegal trial, then really what's the big deal if you, if you have perjury there too? Might as well. So they lie about him, then they mock him over and over again. Then they start to beat him up. They get done with that and they decide, you know what, let's take him to the Roman governor, this guy named Pilate. 
They wanted to kill Jesus, and Pilate's the only one that has the authority to kill somebody, so they take him to Pilate. Now Jesus is in front of this guy, and he's going through all the accusations again. Jesus has to listen to the same lies, the same accusations, the same condescending remarks over again. All the while, there is a mob right outside screaming and chanting to kill him. It's a tense situation, right? And what's, what makes this even more crazy is that Jesus is completely innocent. He's completely innocent. He's literally perfect. And he's got the ability to end all of this. I mean, all he's got to do is say the word. Jesus is God. He just says the word, snaps his finger. His accusers are silent. I mean, he can look at Pilate and say, hey, Pilate, hey, it's been great to meet you. And thank you for the coffee, but I'm done with this, okay? I'm going home and you're going to let me. He could have called down an army of angels, which would have been pretty awesome. I mean, he's got more power, more strength than this mob could ever even imagine, and yet he doesn't flex. Why? Instead, he just calmly listens to the accusations again. He calmly answers Pilate's questions. Basically, he does the exact opposite of everything that you and I would want to do. I mean, everything in me would tell me to fight back, especially because I know I'm in the right and this is unjust, so call down the thunder, Jesus. But he doesn't do it. Instead, he's gentle. Why? It's because his purpose was greater than the present moment. His purpose dictated his gentleness. He absolutely could have lashed out. He would have been justified. He could have ended all of it. He could have smashed this whole thing. But that would have negated his purpose. His purpose was to go to the cross. His purpose was the resurrection. His purpose was to offer you and I a way for redemption, salvation, grace, and forgiveness. And if he just blows this whole thing up, if he flexes like he could have, you and I have no hope then. And the purpose is negated. So just think about how much strength that actually took. You're being accused. You're being lied about. You're being mocked. The death penalty is on the line. You know you're innocent, and you know you've got the ability to do something. You don't need some high-powered lawyer. You can take care of this right here. And to be gentle and to be calm. How much strength does that take? And that's really what gentleness is. Gentleness is just strength under control. That's all it is. It's strength under control. And that's how it's viewed throughout the New Testament. Almost every single time you see gentleness brought up in the New Testament, almost every single time, it's brought up with confrontation and conflict. That's when it's brought up. It's this virtue, really, gentleness is the virtue of meeting opposition, of meeting conflict, of meeting confrontation. Because you're going to face plenty of that in your lifetime. And if you're not, if you don't ever face opposition or conflict or confrontation or the threat of being canceled, if you don't ever face that, then you're not living don't go looking for it. Don't try to instigate it, but expect it. Be ready for it. We live in harsh and hostile times right now, which means there is an incredible opportunity for gentleness because people desperately, desperately need to see the gentleness of Jesus right now. It's refreshing. It's life-giving. It also does more. Number one, gentleness will make you stand out for the right reasons. Any fool can stand out for lashing out. Anybody can do that. And that's really kind of the play of the day. 
It's accepted behavior now. You got this group over here that's lashing out at this group, and then this group is firing insults and accusations back at them. Nobody really listens. They just get louder and louder and scream, 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 and it just becomes white noise. That's every day now, isn't it? It just feels that way. But then you got this guy, you got this girl right here in the middle. They're calm, they're gentle, but they still have conviction. You can see strength in them. But why are they, why are they not doing these things over here? Why are they not screaming? Why are they not insulting people? Why are they not talking down to people? Why are they trying to listen? Why are they gentle? Forget the lashing out and being loud. Nobody pays attention now to that. When someone's gentle, it catches everyone's eye. You stand out for the right reasons. And when you stand out for the right reasons, you can actually bring healing. There's so much healing that needs to happen today, isn't there? Y'all see this, right? So many people that are just hurting. I've never seen so much hopelessness in people's eyes. This came to my attention just a couple weeks ago. A girl, she was mid-20s, went home one night, drank as much bleach as she could. I mean, how hopeless do you have to be to drink bleach and try to kill yourself? I mean, praise God she didn't. But man, there's pain right now. And there's hopelessness. What gentleness will do is it will provide an, eye, an environment, almost like a protective layer around someone, for them to heal. Aggression doesn't bring healing. Harshness just opens up the wound even more. But if you're gentle with people, it's a way to protect people, and healing can happen. You know, like if, if you go to the doctor because you broke your arm, you don't want the doctor to be aggressive, do you? Like, I think you're okay. Just rub some dirt on it. Does that hurt? No, that's, that's not what you want. Gentleness is like a good doctor. Intentional, under control, empathetic, and strong. Gentleness can allow healing to happen. And it can also allow truth to be heard. Man, right now, there's a desperate, desperate need for truth. There's a hunger for it that I haven't seen in my lifetime. Some of you are older than me. I don't know, but I haven't seen this in my lifetime. Because, again, the greatest cultural value right now is expressive individualism. Express yourself however you want, however you feel in the moment, and that's great. Who cares what happens, and truth is whatever you want it to be. Well, the problem with that is, if your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, what happens when our truths contradict each other? Because eventually they will, right? And if they contradict, they both can't be true. One of them's false, or maybe both of them are false. A definition of truth, one of the things that is, has to be present if something's actually true, is that it's constant, that it does not change, and it's true for everyone. It can't be just true for some person or some group of people. If it's truth, it doesn't change, and it's for everyone. Now, everybody's got their own feelings and experiences. That's completely unique. That's great, absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily true. Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth contradicts, and now it's starting to fall apart, and people are seeing it. There's just this emptiness that's growing. Harry, do you see this? Do you feel this today? That there, people just feel like there's emptiness getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You feel that way? Maybe that's how, why you're here today. 
Maybe you just feel like you're empty and there's nothing but emptiness out there. And, hey, you know what, let me just try church. I don't know what that's all about, but I've tried everything else. I've tried drugs. I've tried drinking. I've tried pornography. I've tried sleeping outside my marriage. I've tried everything else, money, success, affirmation, but I just can't find anything. It's empty, so I guess I'll try church. Well, if that's you, here's the great news. God does his best work in the emptiness. He does his best work in the emptiness. People want to know what's real. They want to know what's true, but they will not listen to an aggressive jerk. Like, I don't care how clear you are with the truth. If you're not gentle, you got no shot. If you want your family, if you want your friends, if you want your coworkers, everybody in your circles of influence, if you want them to know the truth of the gospel, you got to be gentle. Not just in your delivery. you got to be a gentle person. Because a gentle person will just mess with people's minds today. Because they don't experience it anywhere. I mean, just think about the everyday, day-to-day. People experience division, hostility, gossips, lies, fear-mongering. When they encounter someone that's gentle, what's that all about? That's different. It'll mess with people's minds. Not only that, it can take someone who doesn't want Christianity to be true. Your gentleness can make them start to think, I wish that that is true. I want that. There's hope. And at that point... What an opportunity do you have to share the hope that you have? But you cannot fall into the temptation. You cannot fall into the accepted behavior today of lashing out at the other side, whatever the other side is. Man, use your strength for something more. Don't, don't lower yourself to the spot where I just want to use my strength to get some gratification to prove them wrong or to get back at them or to win an argument. We're not here to win arguments. We're here to win people. So use your strength for something so much bigger, like the betterment of someone else, even if it costs you something. Now, you might see someone that, man, uh, they really want you to know how strong they are. He or she, they just really want you to know how strong they are. They're outwardly aggressive. They're loud and outspoken. They want to make sure you know that they're not afraid and that they're strong. Have you ever, you ever met somebody like that? Am I the only one? Cool. All right. That person... That person's usually the weakest one in the room. Whoever's outwardly aggressive, loud, and wants you to know how strong they are, it's a bravado. They're covering up an insecurity. But the person who's gentle, they're calm, they're under control. Maybe they get looked over because everybody thinks they're weak because they're calm and gentle and under control. Now look to that person for strength. Like anybody can be strong physically. Just go to the gym. But if you want to be strong mentally, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually, if you want to be able to use your freedom in a way that actually matters, you got to humble yourself. you got to learn to be gentle. Gentleness is strength under control. But it's also more. Get this, this is pretty cool. The New Testament is originally written in Greek. Well, the same Greek word used for gentleness in Galatians 5 is the same word that's used in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. The same word for gentleness is the same word for reasonableness. So to be gentle means to be reasonable. Think about that in light of the last two years. People have just lost their minds in the last two years, haven't they? Oh, that didn't happen in Indiana? That was just Colorado? Oh, cool. You guys must have had it easy. Yeah, people lost their minds, right? There was not a lot of reasonableness. 
Even if there were moments of it, reason delivered in aggression is not reasonableness. You can see this whenever you just scroll through your feed or you turn on the news or maybe you hear it in conversations in your circles. I mean, just go with me on this. Raise your hand. At any point in the last couple years, in the last, you know, short past history, at any point have you thought, can, can we just be reasonable when we approach this problem? Has anybody thought that? Okay, yeah, yeah, great. Okay, how about this? Can we um, be reasonable when we talk to each other? Anybody thought that? Okay, good, we want that. Can we just be reasonable when we disagree with each other? Anybody thought that? Look around the room. Look at the hands. Keep your hands up. We all want that. But there's just not been a lot of reasonableness. There's not been a lot of gentleness. Why? I was reading a book on the presidency, and there was a quote in there from President Eisenhower. He was talking about how people respond under tension. And he said, it is harder to think than it is to feel. It's harder to think than it is to feel. That's true. And as human beings, we naturally want what's easy. Like we want to go to the path of least resistance. But the easiest route is not necessarily the best route. In fact, most of the time, it's not. So when you're facing times of conflict, opposition, tension, division, trauma, loss, uncertainty, exactly what we've all been through over the last two years, in times like this, it is so easy to be led out with and even driven by emotions because it's harder to think than it is to feel. It's harder to be reasonable than it is to be emotional. Now, emotions are real. They're appropriate, and they need to be processed. Absolutely. But whenever there's pressure, whenever there's tension, whenever there's conflict, we've got to think first, even though that can be much harder. We cannot be driven by and lead out with emotions. We have to lead out with and be driven by reasonableness, with gentleness. So when things come up like abortion or race, or sexuality and gender, or politics. You know the easy things to talk about, right? That's a really nervous laugh right there. Where is he going with this? Be gentle. Be gentle when you talk about those things. Be reasonable. Because I don't see a lot of reasonableness on either side of whatever topic you want to talk about. What I see is a lot of unchecked emotion going back and forth both ways. And all that does is create more pain and more division. And guys, the church is better than that. The church has to be bigger than that. Because we got a bigger purpose. Like what the world needs from us right now is not to contribute to that mess. What the world needs from us right now is gentleness. Now it doesn't mean you can't disagree on something. Man, if you're a follower of Jesus... There's going to be people, plenty of people to disagree with you or maybe flat out come at you. That's going to happen. But that doesn't mean you can't be reasonable. It doesn't mean you can't be gentle. And it doesn't mean you're compromising on the truth either. Gentleness is, you, is not you compromising. Gentleness is you acting like Jesus under pressure. That's what it is. Gentleness is you acting like Jesus under pressure. And man, we live in a lot of pressure right now. Hostile, divided times, which means there is a great opportunity, again, not to win an argument, but to win people. Gentleness will allow you to win people. 
That's what Paul's talking about when he says, let your reasonableness be known. Not just to your friends, not just to the people that agree with you. No, let it be known to the people who don't agree with you or the people that oppose you or the people that want nothing to do with Jesus. Let your reasonableness, your gentleness be known to them. Well, how do we do that? Great question. Let me give you two real quick. Number one is your response. Your response. Your gentleness, your reasonableness will be known depending on how you respond to people who are not reasonable with you, who are not gentle with you. It's about how you handle conflict, especially spontaneous conflict. This is one that, man, it's, this is the quickest way to let gentleness be known, but it's also the hardest to execute. This one's really hard for me. Man, there have been a lot of people in the last two years, a lot of people that have come at me that were incredibly unreasonable and weren't slightly gentle. I've been called some pretty awful things. I've been threatened. And what I want to do is I want to come back at them. Okay. I want to point out how unreasonable they are. I want to point out how their logic is garbage. If there's aggression, if there's hostility, great, let's go. I can match that. Let's, let's do that. That's not the spirit, though. That's my flesh. And that's not at all what Jesus did. And he would have been justified to do that at the trial. Don't match the emotions. Don't fire back. Don't flare up, because you're going to get nowhere. Don't get upset when someone disagrees with you or opposes you or doesn't use reason. Don't be upset. Also, don't be easily offended. If you're always an offended person, then you're probably not a reasonable person. And if you're offended by me saying that, <laughs> just saying. If you're always offended, then you're always going to be on edge. And if you're always on edge, it's almost impossible to be gentle. It's impossible. Instead, take a breath, pause, pump the brakes, have self-control, and be kind. If you're a follower of Jesus, right now, kindness, that's your superpower. Kindness will go so far today, so very far. It's almost a, it's a softball being tossed up to you if you're kind because it's not happening anywhere. All of that takes self-control. It takes strength. That's what gentleness is. It's strength under control. The second thing is how you speak to people and how you listen. We don't speak well to people anymore. And I say we, I mean everybody. What's said, what's posted, man, we just don't speak well to people anymore. We don't listen very well either. We don't even listen at all most of the time. Yeah, we might let somebody speak, but we're just waiting for them to stop talking so we can make our next point or so we can tear their point apart. That's not listening. Here's the truth. When it comes to speaking, you have to earn the right to be heard. You have to earn the right to be heard. You absolutely have the right to speak. That is a great freedom that we have. You got the right to speak. But now everyone automatically believes that everyone should always listen to me and I have the right to be immediately heard. You don't. You don't. You got to earn that right. Man, and, and nobody's going to listen to an aggressive jerk again. The way you start to earn that right is by being gentle. And you want to do that because if you're speaking, that's great. But if nobody's listening, what kind of impact are you having? Check your gentleness. And don't buy into the narrative that we can force people to listen to us. Man, that's, that's talked about a lot today. You can't force anybody to listen to you. you got to earn the right to be heard. Get this. 
um, I, met with a, I met with a girl that wanted to talk to me about some things that we believe as Christians. I'd never met her, didn't know her. She wanted to meet, so I meet with her. And uh, for the first 45 minutes, she just tore into me, just tore into me about what she believed and what we believe. I mean, it was a tongue lashing. And at first I thought, okay, all right, I can match this. Great. Um, this is wrong. You're misinterpreting this. You're taking this way out of context. Your logic is really bankrupt. And then it was about 10 minutes in, the Holy Spirit said, no, stop. Be quiet. Don't say anything. So I didn't. 45 minutes, I didn't say a word. I just listened. And as I kept listening, I felt like the Holy Spirit, this is why verse 16 is so important. Let the Holy Spirit drive your lives. I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, engage with her by listening. Don't say a word. James talks about be quick to listen and slow to speak. It was one of those moments. And I listened and I tried to understand. And then she was done and the conversation was over. I mean, I was like, well, that was pretty terrible. I didn't say anything. A week later, I get a handwritten note from her. And it said, Matt, thank you so much for the conversation. I was like, what conversation? Like, was I, was I there? I don't, I don't know. And then she said this. this. This nailed me. She said, I felt like I was heard by you. Okay. And then she asked if we could meet again. So I brace myself. Yeah, we're going to meet again. But this time, she didn't make accusations. She didn't make statements. All she did was ask me questions about the same things she had torn into me. And she wanted to know what I thought. And she listened. Six months later, I got to baptize her. That has nothing to do with me. That's what the Holy Spirit will do when he cultivates gentleness in you. Be gentle and you can earn the right to be heard. I had to earn the right to be heard with her. So if you want your gentleness, if you want your reasonableness to be heard or known, if you want, if you want to earn that right to be heard, do this. Speak in a way that people love to listen to you. And listen in a way that people love to speak to you. Speak in a way that people love to listen to you. And listen in a way that people love to speak to you. On the speaking side, this has nothing to do with content. You don't have to say profound things to get people to love to, to listen to you. It has everything to do with your tone. Are you vulnerable? Are you authentic? Are you truthful? Are you gracious? You speak with strength, but you're under control. Are you gentle? People will start to love listening to you. And then on the listening side, if you're engaged with the person that's speaking to you, if you're listening, trying to understand, instead of listening to respond, because there is a difference between the two of those things, if you're trying to understand, if you're being empathetic, if you're interested in what they have to say, then people are going to love to speak to you. Speak in a way that people love to listen to you and listen in a way that people love to speak to you. If you do that, if you respond with reasonableness to unreasonableness, then your gentleness will be known. Not only will your gentleness be known, people will experience your gentleness. And at that point, they'll know you have something that they don't. They'll see something different in you. And when they start to experience your gentleness, all nine of these fruits of the Spirit, all nine of them go together. So when you're growing in gentleness, it's going to bring out your joy, your kindness, your peace, your patience. It's, they're all going to come out. People are going to start seeing all of those things. And when they look at you, what they're really going to see is they're going to see Jesus. That's what you want. And if they love to speak to you, at some point, I promise you, at some point they will ask you, why are you different? You have something that I don't have. What do you have that I don't have? 
And at that point, man, I can't think of a better way for you to be teed up to say, it's not what I have, it's who I have. Can I tell you about it? Your gentleness, gentleness. Don't overlook how powerful this is. Your gentleness can actually point people to Jesus. People desperately need Jesus right now. Man, politics are not the solution. They're not. We're 250 years into this experiment. It hasn't worked then. It's not going to be the solution now. Have your political opinions. That's great. But politics have proven that they're not the solution. Jesus is. Social movements. Man, they're great. They're great, but there's going to be a new one six months from now. They're not the solution. Jesus is. Economic growth, that's great. It's awesome. But it's not the solution. Jesus is. Self-help, that's good. It's not the solution. Jesus is. So right now for you, what the world needs from you right now, don't think globally because that can be kind of overwhelming. Just think about your world, your circles of influence. That world, you know what that world needs for you right now? It needs gentleness. Your friends need you to be gentle. They're not seeing it any other place. They need you to be gentle. They need that kind of strength from you. Men, your wives need you to be gentle. She doesn't need you to be closed off from her. She doesn't need you to be aggressive. She doesn't need you to have all the answers. She doesn't need you to overpower her. That's not a man. Just because you can raise your voice and be tough, that's not a man. A real man, a strong man is a gentle man. Your wife needs that kind of strength from you right now. Wives, your husbands need you to be gentle. Don't nag him. Don't criticize him. Don't talk condescendingly to him. He gets at other places. He needs you to be gentle with him. He needs that kind of strength from you. Your kids, um, your kids, man, they need you to be gentle. If you're a millennial or a Gen Xer or a boomer, it doesn't matter. What kids are going through today is far harder than anything we ever experienced. The things that they're up against right now, they are in a world that it's not gentle in the slightest. And if their parents aren't gentle with them, if they don't get that kind of strength from their parents, man, we're setting them up to fail. Your kids need you to be gentle. Your coworkers, they need you to be gentle. They bought into this myth that, man, I can find identity, I can find fulfillment, I can find happiness, I can find purpose in a career. There's nothing wrong with a career. We should be the hardest working people on the planet. But everyone's finding out that there's no purpose in this. Money only goes so far. I don't care how much money you have. And they feel lost, they feel empty. They need you to be gentle. They need that kind of strength from you. Indianapolis needs you to be gentle. This city needs that kind of strength from you. Traders Point needs you to be gentle. This church needs that strength from you because gentleness can remove unnecessary barriers that keep people from Jesus. You guys, you have a huge role to play, man. A huge role to play. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for giving us an example. what it looks like to be gentle what that can do this is hard especially in times that are tough would you just break the, the lie that we get presented with every day father that man you've got to be hard you've got to be you've got to overpower people in this world when Jesus you've shown us it's gentleness and would you bless this church father Make this church be a gentle church where people experience it every day, Monday through Saturday, out throughout the city. 
that this church stands out because it's gentle, that healing happens because this church is gentle, and that truth is heard because this truth is gentle. Bless this church, Father. As much as it's been a blessing to me, bless it. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray.